Hello friends, and welcome to Soap Poetry Reviews. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening today and for sticking with me. Uh, I know that it's been a bit since I released one of these episodes. Uh, like I mentioned, I think I mentioned it in the last uh, Straight Up and Down Soap Poetry episode with, uh, with Maggie. Uh, there have been some things that have kind of prevented me from doing... Uh, the review episodes on a more regular basis, uh, primarily press stuff. Um, I have been in the throes of organizing a launch uh, for the most recent Akinoga Press release. But that's all done. Um, and I have a bit of a lull before, or I guess until some other press things uh, require my attention. So I have some time to, to focus on this, or to do this. And... I through the well, I guess through the process of this most recent book, uh, I have realized more fully that I really suck at multitasking, um, especially when it comes to creative things. It's 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 much easier for me to produce the results that I want, that I feel are worthy of whatever it is that it, that is has my attention. If I focus on one thing at a time versus splitting up my attention and producing work that for me is not at the level that I want it to be at. Um, and it's requiring a little bit of maybe learning process, learning curve to kind of figure out how to do that because I ha there are a lot of different interests that I have. And when I'm really honed in on one, the other ones kind of drop off. Like I've been working on a, I think I've probably mentioned this in other episodes. I've been working on a uh, poetry manuscript for uh, the better part of like a year and a half. And I was chugging away on it. And then the press stuff happened and then the poetry has been kind of on the side. Although it seems to be coming back now that the press stuff is kind of done. Um, and don't get, even get me started with how music works in with all that. But anyway... The point is, I'm here, uh, I would like to talk about a chat book, but before I get to that, uh, I would like to talk about just chat books kind of in general, because I'm sure that uh, people who have been listening to Soap Poetry for a while have heard me mention them, uh, have heard me uh, advocate for them, um, and be excited about them. Uh, I honestly think that chat books might be my preferred way of um, interacting with and meeting poetry. Uh, so for for those listening who don't know what a chapbook is, um, in the sort of modern definition of it uh, is a a short collection of creative work. I've dealt with it, or I've seen it more often. Um, contain poetry, chapbooks that contain poetry, although uh, chapbooks that are uh, like nonfiction or fiction exist, although I haven't seen a whole lot of them. Um, I think that they kind of, well, there's some parameters and some considerations for things that I will get into later, but generally uh, chapbooks are very, very short collections of things that are usually themed uh, in some way or another, be it actual uh, theming and content or theming of the structure of the pieces in it, uh, which again, I'll, I'll kind of get to get into in a little bit. Um, but they are, most of them are handmade, um, or at least there's some sort of handmade element to them. Uh, but before I get into talking about chapbooks in the sort of modern context, uh, I would like to give a little bit of the history of chapbooks. Um, I did a little bit of research in, uh, I guess, in prep for this episode, um, reading about chapbooks and trying to figure out, like, where the hell they came from and why they're called chapbooks. And um, they, they're a lot older than I thought that they were. Um, most of the sites that I found that had articles about them date their sort of appearance to the like 16th century um one that i found and i'll put all all the uh the articles and stuff that i've found um and that i reference in the episode description but uh one of one that i found dated 
uh, chat books to uh, like the 1570s um, and one other one just kind of gave it as the 16th century in general um, but at the time which I guess this is like medieval England well medieval Europe as a whole um, although maybe England it seems to um, hone in on well, the two that I'm looking at right now seem to hone in specifically on, on England. Um, but there were so-called uh, chapmen that, that existed in the sort of Middle Ages or the Medieval Ages, um, who, which is, uh, according to this article, a European peddler, reporter, and rogue of all trades uh, that as a profession sort of existed between the 16th to at least the 18th century. Um, who so Chapman were um, I guess kind of like roving like the the this article says like rogues of all trades they they had sort of like everything like a walking junk drawer essentially they they sold like sewing kits ribbons small tools ink assorted just a sort of bunch of other stuff um, but they were also sort of lay reporters or lay journalism because um, they would or get maybe like town criers to an extent where they would um, provide people news so they would kind of row from town to, from small village or town to town kind of kind of dispensing their wares but also dispensing information and uh, eventually that information I mean aside from pamphlets that that were being um, sold that were sort of topics of the day, sort of like um, maybe like a daily newspaper with a wide range of topics uh, that it contained. Um, chat books were usually more focused um, and typically contained um, like collections of poems, like ballads, uh, folk stories, religious tracts, like body stories. Uh, so some of the uh, Canterbury Tale, uh, some of the sections of the Canterbury Tales would have fit perfectly in chat books um, they were usually well I guess at this time they were pretty much all uh, very cheap um, they were small cheaply produced books um, usually in the range of like 8 to 24 pages um, I think that the idea was that you could take like a full sheet of paper and fold it down and sort of stitch it and then you would have you know signatures and you'd have this thing um, but the idea behind them was like efficiency and and cheapness and the uh, the ability to be made quickly and sort of I guess on the fly uh, because back in the Middle Ages or the medieval times, making an actual book um, was, I believe, kind of an ordeal. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of effort. A lot of resources. Um, and I imagine was probably reserved more or less to uh, the more deeply pocketed <laughs> classes of the time. Uh, people that had a lot of money that they could, or enough money that they could, they could throw around. Um, so for the average person, the lay person, who probably couldn't afford, uh, you know, a book, let alone a library of books, chapbooks were sort of the, a useful alternative um, and I haven't really been able to find a whole lot of information as to why they went out of fashion there are probably a number of reasons why that happened um, one of the articles that I've been that I found that I've been looking at um, mentions the Industrial Revolution as a uh, as a possible uh, nail in the coffin uh, because in the I guess the late or maybe sometime in the 1800s, um, the ability to mass produce things on the cheap kind of grew, uh, along with, especially in England, uh, along with laws that banned pu uh, public solicitation and hawking of wares, um, which, as a chapman, uh, that is kind of your bread and butter. So if there are laws on the books that prevent you from doing what you do, you can't really do anymore. Plus, 
you know, at the time, like I mentioned, for the Industrial Revolution, the, the uh, production of and creation of books was much less of an ordeal. Uh, so they kind of, chapbooks as they existed in that time kind of faded out. Um, and this article goes on to, to say that um, they didn't really happen again, um, at least as far as we understand in the modern context. They sort of re reemerged um, in the early 20th century. So like late 19-teens, early 1920s-ish, um, uh, the chapbook, and again, I'm, I'm reading uh, this is a direct quote, uh, the chapbook was revitalized as a tool of the offbeat Dada movement and avant-garde artists in Russia uh, to make their art and messages more widely heard. Um, and though the chapbook was no longer a valid means of distribution, the concept of a cheaply printed book that could uh, be, made read, be made readily available to lower classes with, with small purses held an undeniable appeal. So uh, with the Dada, Dadaists and avant-garde Russians, uh, they sort of harkened back to the original purpose of a chapbook, which was a um, small, cheap, easily producible book that could be widely distributed to people. Uh, and then, according to the article, the American Beat poets kind of picked it up um, because they themselves were poor and didn't have access to uh, high-quality printing apparatuses. But uh, because around the time, uh, mimeograph machines, which was sort of um, like proto-copiers, proto-copy machines, um, uh, were widely available, um, some beats got a hold of that and some cheap paper and some cardstock um, and they were able to produce their poetry and publish their poetry in sort of easily digestible chunks. Um, I have a feeling that um, Hal, actually this article says Hal, um, Allen Ginsberg's sort of opus uh, was published in this, in this manner. Um, it was in original printing, it was a small square black and white volume um, with this quote, uh, with great ambition, but no grandeur. Um, so the, the way that it started, or the way that chapbooks kind of started again, was very much rooted in the, in a sort of DIY ethos. It's a thing that you can do for yourself. You can do it, uh, cheaply, you can do it resourcefully. Um, and you can, you can have a stack of things of, or, a collection of poetry, a collection of, you know, essays, whatever, at hand, on the ready, to just, to, you know, give to people. And because they were made relatively cheaply, they could either be bought for relatively cheaply, or they could just be, you know, kind of given to people. Um, so that's kind of where modern chapbooks start, um, and have since then, I feel, the... The landscape of chapbooks has, has increased, I feel, exponentially, uh, because you still have on, uh, I guess, maybe one side of the spectrum, um, kind of quick, quick and dirty DIY, almost like zine aesthetic chapbooks, which are fantastic. I have a handful of them, um, and they, they feel... Uh, there's a quality, I guess, the... the Similar, or maybe to the quote of the great ambition, but no grandeur. There is a, um, there's a level of like industriousness that uh, that I feel when I when I read those um, those collections, and they they cultivate a very particular aesthetic, um, and I think maybe capture uh, the spirit of certain uh, poetry very 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 well, and then on on the other side. Uh, you have chapbooks that veer more into like artist books um, or chapbooks that really sort of expand or potentially break down the concept of what a, what a book can be. Um, I have seen, there's a, uh, there's a press, I don't know if they're local to Baltimore anymore, but they, they were here for a couple of years, um, called Container which has produced some wild, wild chapbooks. Uh, I believe that they were doing a series um, in which they printed off uh, viewfinder discs. Um, so for those of you who were born uh, 
after the, the 80s or the 90s. Um, a viewfinder is this little piece of plastic that looks similar to a kind of virtual reality goggle, but it's uh, bright red. Um, it's about the size of your hand and has a uh, yellow, or at least the ones that I'm, I grew up seeing has a, uh, I think it's a yellow lever on the side. Um, but you hold it in your hands, hold it up to your eyes, and you hold, your, hold the entire thing up to like a light source. Because there are these little discs that have um, very, very small, uh, I guess, film printed in it or on it. Um, sort of like a, a slide, again, for those of you um, born, I guess, in the 80s or the 90s, have, have, I imagine have to sit through a lot of uh, slideshows. Um, but it's, it's a little photo. Um, I think there's, I'm not sure how many there are. There's probably like 10 or 12 spaced on the, um, on the outer edge of this little white disc that you drop into a slot on the type of the top of the viewfinder. And when you hold it up to the light, you can see, you know, what that image is. And it's, it's much bigger. Uh, I'm not sure how it's, um, magnified, but it is. And then you, you click the little lever and it, it cycles through those, th um, it cycles through all the, like the images on the, on the outer rim. Um, there's probably a better description. If you, if you Google viewfinder, you can probably see uh, videos of them in action. But anyway, um, Container did an entire uh, chatbook series where the chatbooks were the viewfinder discs, uh, which is absolutely amazing. I, I love that concept and that idea so much. Uh, they also did one where there's a bunch of uh, kind of vaguely geometrically shaped uh, folded pieces of paper. They looked kind of like small rocks um, in the, um, I don't know if it was entire poems or just lines from poems were printed. On the on the little rock looking thing, um, and then you just buy sort of like a big box that has all of these little rock pieces things in it. And it, so you have you have presses that are really that really lean into the <clears throat> um, I guess the concept of like what what physical manifestation would best suit. Uh, whatever content has been written or the, whatever content is being published. So in really, really pushing into, um, instead of a, a traditional book with pages, like what's a, what's a, maybe not better, but what's a more effective or a more, um, a way to present the, this information or this, this poetry or this, these essays or whatever, uh, the story that is most, um, cohesive with whatever that work is. Um, and then kind of between those two, those two edges or those two poles of the spectrum, you have um, more or less traditional looking books, um, usually, or maybe letterpressed. Um, letterpressed chapbooks are kind of a big thing. Um, or there's a, there is a healthy grouping of flavored uh, or uh, letterpress flavored chapbooks, uh, maybe I'll put it that way, um, that are typically hand-bound. Um, and in, well, I guess leaving aside the sort of artist books, the things that, that veer much more towards pieces of art than um, what we think of as traditional physical books, um, they usually, there's kind of a wide page length or uh, I guess number of I, I'm going to veer more towards talking specifically about poetry for chapbooks because that's the most experience that I've had um, with them but like I've seen I mean I've published a chapbook that was a single poem um, and I've seen other chapbooks that are single poems and then I've seen chapbooks that easily top out at like 50-60 pages um, that have you know any number of poems in it, but the range is usually the way that I think about it is that any anything under full length, um, and full lengths usually start around like 70, 90 pages, kind of on the low end. Um, anything under that, I would page length wise, I would consider um, a chapbook. Uh, most uh, most of the the articles and the things that I've seen. Um, sort of put the range in the 
Oh, I don't know. Like 15 to... Like 15 to 20, like... Or 15 to 30, maybe 20 to 40 range. So kind of around there is the, the maybe the average of the mean. Um, I usually think of it as like a number of poems. Um, so if you have a if you have a collection that is, I don't know, let's say 30 pages, but it's a poem a page, then you know around 30 poems is kind of the average length of a of a chapbook that I that I typically encounter. Um, but as I was mentioning um, earlier, towards the beginning of the episode, there are other other things that sort of make chapbooks chapbooks. Uh, and one of them, like I mentioned, is that they are usually themed in some way. Um, usually, that that shows up in that there's a very uh, overt understanding or overt. Um, reasoning that you can find behind why poems uh, this this you know whatever particular group of poems is is grouped together so it could be themed on like actual themes it's like they're poems about grief uh poems about i don't know baltimore um they can also be themed in structure uh or form so you could have a chapbook that is sonnets they could be sonnets on a bunch of different things but the fact that they're all sonnets you know, like that's that's the sort of unifying aspect of them. Um, Akinaga Press published a collection by Anthony Mall called "Go to the Anno Sluggard," which is not only uh, a collection of fibs, which is a a poetry form that each line of the poem, uh, the syllable count of that line, corresponds with uh, the number, like the, the sequence of the Fibonacci, or a a uh, part of the Fibonacci sequence. So. If you're writing a poem, the syllable count would be one, one, two, three, five, eight, uh, eleven? No, thirteen? I don't know. But so the poems will sort of grow in a regular fashion, or you can start at a big number and let them shrink in regular fashion, or you know, you, whatever. Um, so his his collection, Go to the Anno Sluggard, is all fibs, but. So they're they're unified in, in the structure and the form of the poem, but they are also uh, they all deal with um, being sort of dissatisfied with the uh, corporate capitalist environment of a uh, academic white collar job. Um, so in that way, they are also themed thematically because all of the poems deal with the sort of you know like office life and navigating that when. Um, navigating a very a job that is very uh, limiting and very um, sort of black and white A and B when you are a person that does not easily fit into neat clean boxes um, yeah so in in that way um, at least for me, I like reading chapbooks more than full-length collections because there's a, a sort of unity or a cohesion that I feel like they have. Um, full-length collections, occasionally I can see them. Um, interestingly enough, if I read uh, full-length collections backwards, I usually can find sort of like whatever threads are happening in there. But especially for like debut full-length collections, um, there are... I've, I've read a lot of them um or i've seen a number of them that are like sectioned you know you'd be like section one section two section three and it feels like in those individual sections all the poems are sort of connected and they they make sense but across sections i don't really see the thread between them which makes me wonder if uh you know, that debut full length was actually a sort of anthology of a couple of chapbooks and then maybe some new poems, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that's, I've seen that how poets do it, you know. Um, it's just, for me, um, I, I find myself very much attracted to that cohesion and that unity. Um, I think probably primarily because that's how I tend to write my poetry. I tend to write it in like batches or in groups that for me are very much, you know, it's like I'm dealing with this thing and I'm, all the poetry that I'm writing is sort of me dealing with this thing. 
and then I move on or I change. Um, and then it's a bunch of poems about a new thing. Um, so it's, I think that because I, I might operate that way or I might think that way, um, it's, I'm much more attracted to and I gravitate more towards poetry that is presented to me in a, in a similar fashion. Um, aside from being relatively short and themed, uh, chapbooks are usually small, physically small. Um, not all the time, but you know, generally there's a there's a sort of uh, petiteness um, or tininess that's associated with this with it to a degree. Um, they actually kind of remind me the maybe the the best correlation that I I can think of is um, EPs like bands that release EPs between full length um, releases or full album releases, um, and I know that uh, musical EPs are not necessarily themed. Um, I know that full-length collections are also, or full-length albums are also not necessarily themed in the way that poetry chapbooks are, but that's sort of the best correlation that I, that in my mind, the only really other um, genre of art that produces a thing that is comparable to a chapbook is, is music. Um, the, uh, one of the other things that you will notice when you encounter a chapbook is the sort of... Um, the immediate recognition or immediate understanding or acknowledgement that a lot of care and attention and time and, and um, love really uh, has gone into the creation of that particular book. And like I mentioned, uh, lots of them are hand bound. Um, lots of them are completely handmade. You know, like I know some, some book artists that make their own paper, um, you know, for the binding of, or for the, the creation of their, of their books. Um, lots of them are letterpressed. And if you've ever dealt with a letterpress, you know how much time you have to uh, donate and dedicate to that process. Um, yes, there are, uh, oh, what's the plates that you can get made? Uh, Boxcar Press is one of the only ones that I know of that, that does that on a regular basis. Um, but there is a, a chapbook that I have in my in my collection um, that I think might be one of my favorites, aside from the chapbook that I'm going to talk about uh, today, that was completely handset. Um, and I was talking to the, the, the publisher and the artist who made it. I think she said that it took her, and this might be in the colophon, I want to say that it took over like 500 hours in total to produce a run of... I think like 30 or 40. Um, so there's there's lots of time and effort that go that gets put into the creation of these things. Um, and I have found, at least it's been my experience in dealing with chapbooks, that there is, um, aside from, from container and presses that really experiment and really push the boundaries of what, what can be considered a book, um, or a, you know, a poetry collection. Um, I feel like there is sort of across the board a, more of a willingness to take a chance on chapbooks or more of a willingness to, to do things that might not necessarily pay off in a, a massive commercial way. Um, because they are typically made in small batches and small runs. Uh, so there's, you, you can afford to have sort of more time spent on a thing and really hone in on what like, everything that you can do to make the experience of, of your of encountering that collection as unified and cohesive as possible, which is again something that I do with the work and with uh, my own press, and I think is probably again why I'm I'm naturally attracted to chapbooks that do this because it's a way that I I tend to do things myself. Is that every every consideration and every step from like the layout to the font. I mean, layout, I guess this is all aspects of layout. It's like the, the font size, the font type, um, the kerning, the letting, the general spacing of it on the page, where the page numbers are, if it's gonna have page numbers, you know, like how much front matter, how much back matter, um, 
to the to the, the design of the cover to the the sizing of it um, all of those elements I want to be I want to work in in um, in concert with the the work and the text that is being published like I want it all to to funnel you into a into a singular well I know that everyone's experience with these books are going to be different but I want you to get as like everyone to be in in the same at least ballpark as each other um and I my general sense is that um with the bigger publishing houses there is less of a I feel like they play it safe more often than not because you know like they have to make sales and they have to sell books and unless you uh unless you are an author or a writer that has had a proven track record and sort of built in uh readership i think that bigger publishing houses are going to be less likely to to make changes or to to or i guess to take chances and to to um, roll the dice on a thing um but there was one there's one chapbook that i i uh, one collection that I had that I, I gifted to a friend of mine that was, uh, I think it was a collection of Tonka with some, maybe some like calligraphic ink illustrations um, that was just like a stack. It was just a loose stack. So they were almost like mini broadsides. Um, and they were, the, the cover, quote unquote, of the book was this really elaborately folded up um, it's like beautiful red folded up paper that had this just very... Uh, very sort of intricate process of how to get it wrapped around this, this loose stack of, of Tonka. Um, but it was gorgeous and it was just wonderful and amazing. And like, I cannot see Random House publishing a book like that because, you know, it doesn't have wide appeal. It's like it's marketed to kind of a very, or that book was, I think, for a very sort of niche market. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that that small presses um, can sort of occupy those spaces of finding that's like, you know, we're going to produce this type of thing and there is a an audience and a readership for this particular type of thing and we have found our people and we're going to serve our people in that way. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'm, I really enjoy chapbooks. I, I think that um, on the one hand, because they're short, I mean, I guess maybe not on one hand because there's really only one hand, um, on on the one hand, um, because they're short, they're easy to get through in sort of one sitting, um, and I I like that experience of being able to sit down with a with a with poetry and get through all of it, and be able to sit with that sort of that collection and that unit, um, and I think, and this will be the I guess the last thing that I say. Um, before moving on to actually reviewing the chapbook that I, w I want to review, um, which will be a good segue because the, the chapbook that I'm going to talk about, I think, exemplifies this, that um, for chapbooks, so for full-length collections of poetry, it's easy for me to sort of still see the individual poems in that collection. Um, there are very, very few collections that I look at and see that collection, like that book is the smallest unit of those poems like it can't be divided anymore um whereas chapbooks more often than not the chapbook for me is like the unit um i it's difficult for me to to take out individual poems from that collection as as sort of units as opposed to like this is the arm of of this collection or this is the leg of this collection um you know it's it's all part of this singular thing uh, which again is a is an experience that I, I gravitate towards because it, it it further emphasizes and sort of reinforces the idea that, that this is a, a unified cohesive thing. Um, so with that said, uh, I would like to review Bedful of Nebraska's by Jill Ozier, uh, who like this collection, like I mentioned, um, does a tremendous tremendous job of being a sort of uh, the smallest, uh, the smallest division of, of these poems. It's it's the collection. It's the unit. Um, I can't think about 
one of these poems without thinking about the rest of the poems that exist in the collection sort of around it. Um, and other the poems that it's it's in conversation with throughout throughout the piece. Um, the first thing that you notice when you pick up uh, Bedful of Nebraska's is it is relatively small. Um, I want to say maybe four inches by four inches. Uh, so it's a nice nice little book. Um, it is pamphlet stitched, and the um, the tails of the thread in the the stitching. Uh, extend off the back, off the spine, um, on out into the world, so they're not they're not embedded inside of the book, um, and they're also cut to about maybe an inch and a half or two inches or so, which really accentuates the fact that this is handmade. It's like there's very much drawing your attention to the fact that, or hand bound at least, that this was hand bound, um, and it, I don't know, there's a, it's it's just a little nice little bit of flair. Um, before you notice that, maybe, uh, you will notice that the cover is a really, really gorgeous, like, near-midnight blue color um, with very, uh, very nicely, I'm going to say sort of like a very deep maroon uh, screen print of, I'm assuming, wheat, or at least, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it wheat. Um, or maybe corn, I don't know, some sort of tall grass that really grows um, in the Midwest. And the, um, the title and Jill's name have been uh, letter-pressed in a really, really beautiful, dull, silver uh, ink. And then on the back side, uh, there is uh, barcode, ISBN, and then the sunny outside uh, press logo that have also been letter-pressed in that, that same color ink. And that's it. That's the entire cover. Um, and I gotta say, more so than I think maybe any other book that I have in my collection, this cover does so much of the work of priming you for what is going to show up in this collection. Um, I feel like I could look at this cover and Maybe not beat for beat as as the poems um, happen in the collection, but the the energy and the vibe and the um, the I guess immediate emotional experience and reaction that I have to seeing this cover is is what is uh, sustained and reinforced throughout the reading of the entire rest of the of the collection. Um, interestingly enough, there is no table of contents. Um, there is a half title page, which I did not really expect. Um, so as far as front matter, it is half title, full title, uh, copyright slash acknowledgments page, uh, an epigraph, a blank page, and then you're right into the poetry. Um, and then as for back matter, it is just colophon, and that's it. There are also no page numbers. Um, I think that there is like 14, maybe 16 poems in this collection. Um, but yeah, you just like, you kind of just breeze right in into the start of it. Um, you get a little bit of a pause because there's a blank page before the first, uh, between the epigraph and the first poem. Um, but you're sort of just there. You kind of just arrive, which... Um, I don't know. I think, I think because the cover for me, there's so much space and so much. I mean, I there's a, a deeply personal connection that I have to Nebraska and a lot of emotions and sort of associations that I have with that. So, at least for me, when I when I encounter this cover, there is so much built-in space and quiet and vastness and expanse um, that I am immediately put into that mindset into my into that space. So the fact that the poem, that the collection starts almost abruptly, um, I guess more abruptly than than you know lots of other collections that I've read, uh, it doesn't really feel rushed. Uh, it it feels like it just sort of it just sort of happens, um, which is a there is a moment between evening and night proper where you're watching the sort of blue, you know, fall and happen and it gets deeper and deeper. And then 
you know, as you're watching, um, there is this moment where that shift happens, and it, that it goes from evening to night. And, like, you know for sure that that moment happened, but you cannot pinpoint when it did. You're just sort of suddenly aware that something has changed, and you're now in night. And as a uh, visual and sort of emotional um, image, that is what this book feels like to me as a whole, which interestingly enough is sort of reinforced in, you know, like looking at the cover and having all of the space and the quiet that is associated for me with evening and Nebraska. And then as the poem starts, it's like you're just sort of thumbing through and then the poem or the collection starts and it feels like that weird shift of like, you're suddenly in it, you're in night or you're in this, the shift of time and you, I mean, obviously you can pinpoint when it happens in the, in the collection because the, it's, it starts. But the experience that I have reading it is that you kind of just, you know, you're in this, you're in this quiet sort of open space internally, maybe externally too. You're thumbing through this book and then suddenly you're you're in the collection and you're like, oh shit, when did this happen? Um, and then the rest of the collection happens. And it the all of them reinforce for me the sort of um, like late November, maybe mid to late November um, type of fall evening when like uh, nights are not super long yet and days are not super short but there's a, there's a healthy amount of evening. I guess I feel like evening is <laughs> the vast majority of the day. Um, and there's this sort of luxurious slide into, like from afternoon into evening. Um, yeah, I guess why well, I never really thought about that before. That for me, when, once you get into like late November, it feels like most of the day is afternoon. Like you get morning for an hour or two in the in the in the morning, and then the rest of the day is like it's afternoon, and then it's evening, and then night. Um, but there is a there is amount of chillness, chilliness, briskness. I don't know that I that I feel in these poems. It's like I I want to I either want to be like on a couch with a blanket and a cup of tea or outside in like a, a thick jacket and a scarf that you, know, you sort of bunch up around your neck out for a walk. Um, that's the sort of, I think both of those are different manifestations of the intimacy that I feel in this collection because there's a definite intimacy that I, or association of intimacy that I have with being on a couch, you know, as evening happens with a cup of tea and you're nice and cozy. Um, potentially cozy with someone else and uh, or the intimacy of being like out in the world when evening when that shift happens and like the commiseration with the sort of smallness and the quietness that is happening around you um, which I would have to say that these poems feel so let me see if I can if I can make my way through this um, these this collection feels in a weird way counterintuitive um because the poems themselves are mostly squat um they're you know pretty usually just sort of like chunks of text there are a couple that are a little longer and a little leaner um but most of that like most of the lines themselves are pretty long there's one poem in here that actually has like a hanging indent um so, like, the lines themselves are actually longer than the page would allow them to be. Um, which is interesting. I'm not, I'm, I'm curious as to what my, how my experience reading this particular poem um, with the hanging indents would change if I were to see it as just sort of like a solid block of text. Because with the hanging indents, it gives a little bit of breath and a little bit of um, motion as opposed to being just sort of like a, like a clump of words. Um, but anyway, most of most of these poems feel real squat and kind of broad, um, but they contain, at least for me, they they there is so much internal space that they cultivate, uh, which, again, for me, sort of translates into external space because there's also a healthy amount of white around them on the 
on the pages themselves. Um, but it also sort of represents to me, at least the my experience with being in Nebraska and the landscape of Nebraska, that you have um, like scrub trees and brushes and stuff, and things don't they don't grow tall; they kind of grow out. Um, which I'm not really sure why, um, but it almost gives the impression that because there is so much sky that it is really heavy and it pushes down on things. So things, like I said, that can't really go up, they have to go out. And that's what these poems feel like they are both physically doing, but also metaphysically and internally doing that they're being smushed down to kind of create this this vastness or this broadness because um, I would say that with the exception of maybe like one or two um, the poems in this collection don't feel I mean at least as far as feeling go they don't feel tall they feel broad uh, which is a consideration that I never really thought about with poetry um, or the the more the physical slash metaphysical qualities of, of poetry because um, the stuff that I've been working on uh, recently for myself have been real like long lean poems um, which feel sort of constricted in their own way but it's a different type of constriction um, which is another uh, element of these poems that I feel that there's a like Maybe not to the degree of claustrophobic, but there's a there's a certain closeness and a certain um, constriction that these poems have, and I think part of that is that they tend to focus on very, um, very close, very intimate, or very very close intimate details, or very close small noticings, um, and all most of the images that you that you see or that are that are given to you are sh are sort of like within arm's length, uh, within reach, um, because um, keeping with the I guess the evening into night metaphor or image that I have for this this collection, um, the the visual image that I get when I'm reading these poems is that like if you're looking at um, just out at the world in in evening in evening and evening's transition into night and there are things that you can see that are close that you can make out in a certain amount of detail and a little bit further out or like the further out that you get the more silhouetted silhouetted things become that you know at middle distance you might be able to make things out and kind of have the sense that you know what they are but you're not really sure on the details and then even further out it's just outlines and shapes of stuff that um no longer because they are no longer known they enter into the realm of um speculation or implication it can be filled up with whatever they can be you know populated by your fears your hopes your desires your wants speculations you know whatever um and that's sort of again in a in a weird way of sort of creating that that space or those implications that's kind of what i feel like these poems are doing that, that you get very you get very up close details and then sort of around them you have this implication or the silhouette of other images and other details and other things that are happening um, which feels like it feels like Jill does this effortlessly and I'm wondering if it's even conscious like a conscious conscious act and decision or if it's just if it's intuition at work and sort of leaning into um intuitively leaning into those aspects and those, those qualities or, or maybe even channeling um because most of these feel like evening or night poems um channeling that or in, intuitively sort of or plugging into that the um the experience or the overall experience of what evening and night feels like um so in that way these poems feel like they're very very close to you like that you are like a um like you're in a small room um or maybe you're in a you're in a very large room but it's all been furnished very 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 close to you um which is a really really interesting experience to have um 
and something that I'm like again, I'm unsure if this is a if this is a conscious this was a conscious choice on Jill's part or not. Um, and if it was, if it is conscious, if it is a conscious choice, I do not understand how to get yourself into the mindset of and the the sort of intimacy and understanding of of language and poetry in general to craft a thing that does that. And if it's intuitively, like she must be plugged into some really <laughs> amazing things to produce something like this. Um, uh, let me check my notes. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I just once over the things that I wanted to say. Um, and I think I hit, hit most of them. Um, and I like, like I mentioned before, that I that I view specifically uh, Bedford of Nebraska's the collection, the chapbook, as the smallest sort of division of these of these poems. Um, it's difficult for me to kind of pick out individual pieces or individual poems from them. It's mostly when I when I think about this collection, um, and I did reread it recently. But between readings, when I think about this collection, I get those very strong um, image and emotional connections like that's sort of what I'm what I'm uh, plugged into and it's not it's not a line of a poem or it's not a poem in its entirety but it's more the the sort of uh, the total impression or the impression that the to that the totality of these things have on me and um, again like I said because I spent well, I didn't say this specifically, but I, I, I've spent some time in Nebraska, um, very intensively creative time. And uh, I'm unsure if I would be as affected by this collection um, were that not the case. But there is like, there is some weird space in me that this, that this collection occupies. And it feels like it is, it is doing a thing or there's a, a something or something in my creative pantheon that that needed to be occupied and this thing is is the for that for that reason or maybe other reasons that I, I might not know about is is doing the work of, of occupying that space um but it it is honestly one of my um one of my cherished most cherished chat books uh, and i think probably books in general um and I, I would like to read a couple of poems. Um, I think that I'm probably going to pull most of them from later in the collection. Um, let's see. Um, the first one that I would like to read um, is actually one of the... Interestingly enough, taller poems in the collection. Um, it's a little leaner. Uh, the lines aren't super long. Um, but uh, here it is. You know it as spring. These are the standing water weeks. Sliding gray skies stall, and puddles lie more dull for looking up. Lakes shudder below gusts and stick out their many chins. They cannot be budged. All the world wants is to be like winter promised, but mortal are the seasons too. You were tall, so tall. So maybe you've never left your body like this, standing in water rising, the face islanded. I don't know what anybody else gets just like that uh, November wind chill. Um, Let's see, what's one of the other ones? Um, ooh, I like this one a whole lot. Um, Night. Wraps the red brick elementary school, sitting snow-capped on the hill, like a nurse too tired to change her clothes. Tonight, she sat down and stayed there. She has looked into young mouths and ears. She has held young bones and sent them breaking home. She's waited until all the children have gone to unwrap what one boy gave her. The black paper napkin. It's strawberry. 
each fine seed intact. Um, let's see. I think... I think one more. Uh, this is actually the one with the hanging and dents. Um, the one that I was speculating on what my experience reading it would... How my experience uh, reading it would be different if I encountered it as just one solid block of text. Um, I don't know. It It's weird because it stands out. Oh, no, there's actually there's another poem that has um, hanging and dents. I was going to say this one stands out as unique because it's the only one, but there's actually, there's another one. Um, I don't know. I kind of like the, the energy that it gives it. There's a these weird sort of moments of, of breath or um, snow, maybe, because considering what this poem is. But anyway, uh, Io. Today I find low bush cranberries edging the yard. Full, ripe, they lie secret as gems among broken twigs and leaves blown down. I pick two generous handfuls. There may be more. You told me the story of Jupiter once. How when Voyager passed by one of its moons, it recorded something like ten volcanic eruptions. Scientists reasoned that if at random they found ten, the place must be breaking all the time. They looked closer, and they were right. It is late, and I am home, and I stand in the dirt drive, burialless. It is dark, and what's more, snowing. There is not an elk here. Nothing's moving. The snow falls like it is making up for months of not snowing. I don't know what it will bring back. The bird I left on my steps, stunned in its bloody cap, was gone when I, got, when I came home. They are the small, hard, cold flakes tonight. Millions. Maybe more. But I, so this this poem for me is a pretty good example of um, the sort of the tension between the up close images and the things that are, that you can very plainly see sort of right in front of you, and then the stuff that's around it that's hazy and silhouetted and sort of implied. And um, I don't I don't know how Jill did it. Um, I'm unsure if Jill knows how how she did it, but I like it's. It's really, really wonderful. Um, ooh. I'm going to read one more. Um, and then maybe call it quits. So this is right in the middle of the book. Um, although it's not the middle poem. Um, it just comes, it just happens to be in the middle of the book. Um, one more thing. Making the circle larger, I can include the green shed fading in the lot. Sometimes I think we already have it. I think the world's that big. Then your dog dies, and the planets are more perfectly and perfectly shaped than ever. I'm not afraid. How else explain invention? In that story, where the man wakes up and can't find his wife, now, suddenly, the bed's a moon. Too big. Too bright. But... Yeah, that's uh, that's Bedfold of Nebraska's. Uh, if you have the ability to uh, check out uh, Sunny Outside Press, um, I'm unsure if there are more of these. Um, I'm unsure if they have any more of these in stock. Um, I don't know if they did just one edition of this or not. But if you if you can track this book down, I highly highly recommend it. Um, it's a nice little thing to have. One, it's a nice little thing to have in your collection, and two, it's it's a nice thing to. Um, to break out in the, uh, the chillier months um, when evening is the, the vast majority of, of the end of the day. Um, just hang out with some, some nice, uh, short, but very broad and expansive poems. Um, but yeah, thank, thank you so much for listening. Um, I've been tracking some of the most recent plays. Uh, I've seen that there are a lot of people listening in Vietnam, so thank you. Uh, I think I saw some from Slovenia earlier, um, some from India and maybe Spain too. Um, 
as always, I'm I'm just flabbergasted that there's an international audience of people who who uh, listen to me talk about poetry and poetry related things, uh, and I'm deeply grateful and really humbled that that people get something out of this. So um, to whoever's listening, to all those that are listening, uh, thank you, and I will talk to you all next time.